Anita, how's your mental health? <laughs> Questionable <laughs> at all times. You know this. Yeah. How's the mental health of your children? Um, also a little bit tricky. Can I tell you my experience in trying to find therapists for myself and my kids, Mel? Yes, please. Okay. This is how it goes. You ask around your friends and your family for a referral for somebody who's nearby. You finally find somebody who sounds like they might work for your family. You give them a call and you find out that A, they're not accepting new patients or B, they have a huge wait list. So you start over again and you ask people if they know anybody who would be a good therapist and a good fit. Finally, you find one, you go and you meet with them and you figure out that you don't actually like them that much. But it's been so much work to find somebody who you can go to in your area that you're kind of stuck with them. Well, do you have any ideas for how to get around this? Um, I do, because guess what? I've actually had some therapists that I have found on my own, which involves what you're saying. Sometimes I remember one time I was like three hours in the bathtub on my phone looking through yeah. websites. I was such a prune at the end. But I have also had the experience with working with BetterHelp and it was like, I, I don't want to say too good to be true, but because it is true, but it's like amazing because I was matched with my therapist within 24 hours. And you didn't have to go through all of that other ridiculous process of trying to find somebody. And here's the cool thing too, is if that person didn't work out for you, you can just switch and say, and it's not like you're committing to another years long search for somebody who you're going to jive with. It's true. And I lucked out or maybe just BetterHelp is really good at matching people together because I never had to change my therapist. I loved her. Perfect fit for me. And I know that some of our friends have used BetterHelp and they've had to change therapists and boom, same day can change. Easy peasy. You can ghost your therapist. <laughs> Get a new one. I love this idea. BetterHelp is one of our sponsors. If you use our promo code, trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN, you get 10% off your first month and we totally recommend it. Yes. Get some therapy. That's <laughs> trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. Under one, under two, under one, two, three. Did you watch Lawrence Welk with your grandparents, Anita, when you were young? Because I did. <laughs> My grandpa still watches it every week. Isn't that cute? It's still on? Wow. Aww. Yeah, it's like on public TV, I think. Hmm. That's still a thing. Okay, we're still alive. We're here again. Another week. Uh, yep. Here we are, um, Mel. Yeah. You've been doing some skateboarding. You've been doing some roller skating, which means that you're still full of rage, rage and emotion. <laughs> yep. And you know what? I'm. Have you heard of top down versus bottom up Ooh, tell me more Ooh, like to go through hard things grief trauma processing all that stuff so top down is like assessing your thoughts mental health whatever like therapy would be bottom mm -hmm. up is moving doing stuff mm -hmm. with your feet i'm doing stuff with my feet yep and you know what there's this thing about the skateboard and when you go down a ramp you have to stomp your front foot to make mm -hmm. it stick and I have a certain person's face that I stomp every it's time. It's not mine, right? No, never. There's a reason why I'm getting good fast. <laughs> I have a lot of rage. But anyway, yeah, I went I went today and I've been going a lot. So yeah, I'm doing those things. Um, yesterday was my dad's nine-month anniversary of his death, which 
is helpful for me to remember because I keep forgetting that I'm just in the throes of grief all the time. And that's not very long. And it's a big upset in addition to what I'm dealing with and then trying to, you know, heal from the Scott stuff too. So it's reminded myself that I have to give myself patience, blah, blah, patience and time and boo-hoo, all that crap. But I hate it. I'm impatient. I want to feel better. Yesterday though, when I woke up, this is how I got through yesterday. I woke up and I was like, no, not again. I'm awake again. I'm like, okay, all I have to do is survive the next 30 minutes. So I did that. And then when it got to the 30 minutes, I'm like, okay, now I have to just survive another 30 minutes. And I did it all day long and I survived. (laughs) I think that's a great tactic for widows in general or people who are going through hard things. Yep. And guess what? I am going to be put on ADHD medication this week. I'm super excited to see how that works for you. So everyone, I'm going to let you know if it helps. I mean, I do have ADHD anyway, but like... There's just so much that my brain like grabs onto and can hyper focus on in this grief situation and loss that's not helping me. So we're gonna see if it's gonna help. And I'm going to okay. Hawaii on Friday, by the way. Did you know? Ugh, yes, I know. I'm not happy about it, but whatever. I'm happy for you. I'm just jealous. So have fun. Drink something out of a coconut. I'm just taking my skateboard stuff and roller skates. I'm going to skate around and I'm going to stay at my friend's house. Like, seriously, when we landed from Australia, I texted my friend in Hawaii and I was like, can I come visit you uh, at this one week? And she's like, yes. And then I booked a flight the next day because I'm like, I have to get out of here again because there's just so much stress Mm -hmm. here at home where I live. And and it was so nice to be by the water in Australia. So... Whatevs, here it comes. My don't, trip. Don't get killed by a volcano, please. Please, please. Thanks. Okay. What's up with you? Uh, we just got back from a weekend away with my family. Um, the fall colors are so beautiful. They give me so much life. And I just, it's one of those times where you just like appreciate being alive, but then also are kind of sad because like life is different now and you can't share that with people. And like I took my kids on a drive and I'm like, look how pretty the, the colors are. And they're like playing on their, you know, tablets <laughs> and they're like, mom, shut up, you know? And I'm like, no, look, look how pretty it is. I'm like, you can't appreciate these till you're old guys. And so <laughs> they're like, can we just go home? Anyway, that was kind of funny. Um, something Kind of big happened this week, though, wherein I finally had a meeting with the school for one of my kids, and we had an IEP meeting, which is an individualized education plan, and finally, I feel like I'm getting, I'm making some headway in having the school help me help my child succeed, which has been so hard and so many roadblocks and obstacles on a brain that isn't working you know and during the meeting they were saying all these things and I said you know I also need you to put another thing in this accommodations plan and that's an accommodation for this mom (laughs) I was like I was like I I you know I'm gonna be really honest like I suck at home I cannot spend the time that is really you're wanting me to spend at home. I, you know, I have other kids. I have all of these expectations. 
anyway, it was just kind of funny because they kind of looked at me and I almost started to cry. I was like, I'm doing this alone, you know, so and luckily I have somebody who's kind of on my side now and she piped up and she was like, no, really, guys, like you need to listen to this. This is important. So um, I'm hoping that it will be I'm hoping it will be a step in the right direction in like taking some of the pressure off of me, basically. So, yeah, we'll see. As we'll you have a kid screaming in the background. <laughs> I, while we were recording a little bit earlier, one of my kids called me and he's like, Mom, I need you to pick me up from school. I don't want to walk home. My trombone's too heavy. Oh and like, he stayed at school too late. Like, he didn't come home on time because he stayed for Lego Club. And I was like, well, I'm actually recording a podcast, like, right now. And he's like, well, then come get me. And I'm like, I actually can't. Like, <laughs> you're on your own, friend. And he was like fine (laughs) you carry that trombone man get get some muscles it's good for you walk uphill both ways just so you know the school is less than a mile away from my house so yeah it's so it's yeah it's really close so i just didn't have any sympathy for him at all but well i hope that this new plan is helpful for all involved because it's been a thing Mm -hmm. it's been a long long thing so i'm i'm glad about that and i am really loving the weather and and fall and not looking forward to winter but let's let's just revel in fall for a few minutes can we yeah but i'm looking forward to winter because then i get a ski oh fine okay it's just cold and dark and i hate it so much but yeah you can ski with me okay well this time <laughs> yes <laughs> we'll make it happen <laughs> oh mel what should we tell the folks to come join us in the Widow Wives Club if they happen to be a person who is a widow, widower, or somebody who has lost their romantic partner? Yes, I think you should do that and that you just did that. So do it <laughs> if you want. We're in there. It's a supportive community. It's helpful. We have many, many amazing members in there and we are continuously adding new things like Zooms about specific situations that may be helpful. So get in there. Widow Wives Club just on Facebook. What else? Ans- answer all the questions um, just so we can keep it a safe space. If you want to keep the podcast going, come check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash WWDN. It's just a way for listeners to help support the podcast. We provide the podcast for free because we want everybody to be able to access it, but it actually costs money to make a podcast and it takes a lot of time. Yes. So go to patreon.com slash WWDN and... If you choose to join at the $10 level and up, you get ad-free episodes as well as a shout out in episode. But we do have four available tiers, so go check it out. And we are going to do our shout out right now. We're going to start with our first secret dead husband. And to her we say, let it widow, let it widow, can't hold me back anymore. That was from, oh, in case you weren't sure. I get <laughs> let it, it now. Go. Yeah, okay, cool. Constance Dahlbeck, David Kelly, Don Satterwhite, Emily Wesenberg, Gail Bell, Ivan Meisner, The Cat, Chris DeWaite, Maya Glosser, Neil Hooper, Sam Finlayson, Amber Alanez Vela, Amy Hartman Martell, Amy Neal, Ashley Hahn, Barbara Schneeberger, Brandy Younger, Brittany Pedro, Chris Steffen, Cindy Wilkerson, Danielle Katterberg, Debbie, not a downer. Downer. Dennis Brazo. Jean Marie Massey. 
Jenny Taylor. Jennifer Beal. Jennifer Brown. Jenny Wang. Carol Schultz. Kelly Ford. Kirsten stromberg Clausen, Laura Aguidi-Penner. Lauren Old. Lou Clausen, Auntie Marie Hoffman. Mary Catherine Anderson. Patricia Wiest. Rachel Barbosa. Woo-woo. Sarah Morris. Simone Fu. Sunshine Haven. Sylvia Shore. Taylor Snyder. Karen Cornejo. Amy Burke. Anne Drennan. Anna Tracy. Audrey Hennig. Audrey Henninger. Is that how you say it? Or is it Henniger? I, that's, I was... Ha- okay, Audrey, tell okay. us. Audrey I vote Henniger. for me. Sorry. The font is really small. Audrey Henniger. <laughs> Christina Scambato, who the heck are you? <laughs> Christine Anderson. Cindy Raynaud. Connie Remich. Don Barber. Debbie Fells. Deborah Westwood. Diana Becker. Emily Toledo. Eric Vandermeulen. Aaron Posick. Gabe Lozano. Gia Benoit. Gina Haas. Ian Sini. Ileana Bell. Jackie the Coil. Jane. My mom. Another secret patron. Jennifer Davis. Jenny Armstrong. Jenny Barrow. Jocelyn Milo. Judy Malkin. Julie Stevenson. Karen Ochoa. Karina Jacobo. Kathy Marie. Katie Getz. Ooh, Katie Radcliffe. Kara Scara. Kevin Ferry. Chris Morgan. Lara Keeley. Yes. Lindsay Kanapka. <laughs> Lori Farrington. Marjorie Lewis. Marianne Hammond. Marianne McDonald. Mary McGowan. Megan Montague. Melissa Bowers. Melissa Hancock. Naomi Brown. Rebecca Olamaker. Becky Zeba. Robin Flam. Stacey Saywert. Tammy Teravist. Tara Wallace. Trent Thompson. Valerie Ralph Hacker <laughs> III. And finally, holding up a picture, sticking your finger at it, and sticking out your tongue, Wendy! That's an inside joke, but I hope she's laughing and just like snorted a drink through her nose or something. The end. Thank you to everybody who supports us on Patreon. It really does help us to keep the podcast going. We love all of you. Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff, and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast is here to help. She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff, there is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rock House Financial, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Check out our app. It's on any app store. If you would like to have access to all of the things because you have widow brain and you don't want to go all the different places. So just look for Widow We Do Now on any app store. 
If you want to buy us tacos, Mel, what should they buy do? Me a, buy me a coffee.com slash widow we do now. Awesome. And if none of those things work for you, will you please just give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify? It really helps people to find the podcast. And share with somebody who needs it or who with somebody who you want to know how you feel, but you don't have the words to say. So that helps spread awareness and helps everybody in their healing journey. Okay, Mel, should we get to our episode? Yes, ma'am. What is our episode today? Joe Betts. Oh, yay. I'm so excited for this one. All right, let's do it. I'm Anita. I'm Mel. We are two young widows just helping you try and figure out. Widow. We. Do. One, two, three. Do you think that when somebody claps in Australia, it it, it reverberates the opposite direction? I think it does. It, Possibly. The, the Coriolis clap effect. Because we couldn't figure out the toilet flushing situation because the toilets would all just go straight down. Nothing swirled. So everybody was like, tell us if the if the toilets swirl the opposite way. We don't know. So ah, sure. I would, what, is that a difference? Yes. Supposedly. Really? Yeah. We're just suctioning. We're down under, suctioning everything down. <laughs> that's why it's called that. I never knew. Well, anyway, yeah, that's ex- exactly why. It was just p- totally based off the toilet system. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to introduce you to our guest today. We had to travel all the way to Australia to meet her in person to convince her to come on the podcast. Because before that, she was like, who are these people? I don't know. They seem sketchy. So this is Joe Betts. Hi, Joe. Hello, Anita. Hi, Mel. How are you both? We're good. good. It's been a crazy day for us. But um, Joe, is Joe short for something or is it just Joe? It is short for Joanna, but I hate Joanna. And even my parents have always said they're not sure why they called me Joanna because I've always been Joe. Okay. So maybe they just like put it there for formal occasions or when you're in big, big, big trouble. Your government name. (laughs) It is my, it's basically my government name. No one has ever used it. And even I feel a bit odd if someone says Joanna in a more formal context, I'm like, who on earth are you actually talking about? I think Mel has the same thing too. When people call her Melanie, she's like, who's that? Yes. Yeah. Well, when I was in kindergarten, I was actually called just Joe a lot because whenever they used to do the roll call, I'd say back to the teacher, they'd say, it's Joanna. And I'd say, it's just Joe, just Joe. So they often called me just Joe when I was little. That's kind of cute. cute. Do you want to know what I ask my kindergarten teacher to call me? Oh, no, I don't even. I'm so excited. Muffy. <laughs> what was that based off? There was a Canadian show that we could get on PBS here called Today's Special. And <gasps> it was like a mannequin that came to life after the store hours closed. And this mouse came out. Mm-hmm. And her friend was the Mr. Crenshaw that was a puppet in the show. But Muffy Mouse, mm-hmm. I was like, that is me. I'm glad that was short-lived, Muffy, because that would have been awesome. Yeah, we have a lot in common, Joe, with the name thing. And I think with some of our timeline. So I will let Anita actually get back into the flow. Sorry, guys. It's totally fine. I just want to know where you're coming from. Where do you live, Joe? So I live in Geelong in Australia, but Geelong is about one hour from Melbourne along the coast. Beautiful little town. It's where I grew up, although I grew up about 20 minutes away from the city. So kind of like a country kid, you could say. Mm, Is it by the beach? Are you guys near the beach? 
Yeah, I'm probably about a five minute drive from the bay and then maybe 20 minutes away from the Great Ocean Road, which has got some of the most stunning beaches. I don't want to brag, but yeah, it's incredibly beautiful. You should brag. That's something good to brag about. I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm sitting here with so much jealousy on my shoulders right now. Um, Joe, I came to your presentation at Camp Widow in Australia, and I loved it so much. I thought you were such a professional <laughs> as compared to Mel and I. <laughs> and I loved all that you had to say. So I just would love to chat with you more and get your story and find out a little bit more about your grief journey do you want to tell us a little bit about your life in general what you do for a job your person those types of things how you met yes yeah, so absolutely so I guess you could say my jobs at the moment uh so I actually work as a marriage celebrant so I don't know if what the term would be in the U.S. but like officiant so I actually help people get married and officiate the ceremony, do all the legal paperwork, which is a, a weird sort of industry to be in uh, when you also have lost your own husband. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I've done that for many years, maybe about 10 years or so. I also work um, with a wedding blog and directory, so like heavily wedding sort of focused. Um, and then I also wrote a book a couple of years ago called Grief, A Guided Journal, which is, yeah, where I've sort of tapped a little bit more into the grief space and helping people explore their own experiences of grief. Um, and I'm also the mother of a nine-year-old daughter called Heidi, who's such a little cutie. Um, but yeah, so that that's that's my life kind of now. But I guess I met Craig, my husband, when I was about 23 years of age at one of the least romantic establishments, a nightclub called Home House. So I think I met him at about 3 a.m. in the morning, heavily intoxicated. He asked me to marry him because I was so drunk. I naturally said yes. Um, but we did actually get married. <laughs> and um, yeah, look, so we were together for look a good 12 years. Um, and I was thinking about what Craig was kind of like. And I'd say almost the total opposite of, of me. So Anita, when you're saying you've given this really professional presentation, I was probably the well put together one in the relationship. And Craig was just what you see is what you get. Loud, boisterous, um, cheeky, really into extreme sports, like things like surfing, motorbike riding, skydiving, things like that. Whereas I'm probably a bit more content kind of going for a walk, reading a book, <laughs> drinking a glass of champagne. But, but for some reason, our personalities just really worked. And he was, as much as he looked so tough on the outside, he was an absolute softie and um, so loving and really instilled like a lot of beautiful qualities in me. And um, what I really loved about him was that he backed me in anything that I wanted to do. And, it, and that's something I've really missed since he's died because you know I, I didn't realize how much of a supporter he was of mine and the thing is I could go home to Craig and say actually Craig I think I'm going to run to be prime minister of Australia next week and he'd be like sign me up no problems what do I need to do I'll get out a billboard whatever it is that you need and that was a really beautiful quality about him so yeah good guy good fun guy loved a beer or three <laughs> so was that his pickup line will you marry me or did he give you a terrible well, pickup line first I kind of want that he, to be a well, bad the, pickup line. the funny thing was he would say to me he actually thought that I was smiling at him from across the dance floor what he didn't realize until he got 
know me was that after a glass of champagne, I will smile at anyone. So <laughs> he thought that I was directly looking at him and sort of going, he was like, oh God, I've hit the jackpot here. Here's this girl and she wants me. Whereas I was just, I was just intoxicated. So did you get married that night? No, we didn't. Legally, you can't get married unless you've given 30 days notice really? in Australia. That's so kind of nice. Yes, yeah, so you can't actually do things like that. So we, we actually, although we fell in love really quickly um and the problem with that though was that craig had booked around the world tickets so we'd only been dating for about 12 weeks when he took off on this you know um overseas adventure and he wasn't sure when he was coming back so he went to i think fiji the us canada to do all these extreme things like snowboarding skydiving he lived in a drop zone in the us for about two months to, to learn how to skydive was wow. crazy. he sounds so fun he was good fun. And um, the funny thing was I wasn't sure. And I was, because we'd only newly sort of been dating, I was trying to be all cool, calm and collected when he left and was just like, oh, you know, we'll see what happens. When he got on that plane, I was devastated. I cried the whole way home. We hadn't sort of made any firm plans as to, you know, would we still see each other? And this is all before Facebook and keeping in contact but really was only via email or phone. And I remember he rang me. Telegram, telegraph. I know, basically, that's all, totally. Um, But I remember he rang me about 48 hours after he'd left and he said, I just really want to stay together. And I was like, oh my goodness, thank goodness you've said that. And so then I guess we were sort of long distance, still with no plans as to what would happen, but he started to suggest that he might come home. And I thought about, and I thought, look, I think we're really serious about each other. If he comes home, there's a chance that we will just shack up together, get married, do all the right things. And I, I still wanted to travel overseas and have those adventures too. And he said to me, well, why don't you come and meet me in London? And I said, well, that would be great, except I'm a poor 23-year-old with no money. And he <laughs> said to me, I'll pay for your ticket. You just work really hard over the next few months and then come and meet me in London. And so six months later, I joined up with him in the UK and we lived there for almost three years. Oh, wow. Mm. Yeah. And I got to experience all those sort of adventures together and then came home. And I guess that was more the settling down phase. We lived in Melbourne for a few years, became engaged, got married, um, had Heidi. Oh, I'm just telling you right now that I'm secretly hoping that your nine-year-old and my nine-year-old will get married. So I'll have a hookup to, you know, visit the beach after a 14 hour flight absolutely and i want to go to the u.s so that's all right done done i I think you guys could do that without any children getting married to each other just want to put that out there that's a really good point now okay fine 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 let's yes so okay so what happened oh god craig what a stitch up so look completely unexpected death um and you know when you you think about sudden deaths and you go, you were just going about your normal day-to-day life when bam, everything just falls to pieces. So yeah, I'd just been at work for the day as had Craig, he worked as a carpenter. Um, Now, I guess to sort of, yeah, preface the story, Craig had always been an asthmatic, but never in the 12 years we'd sort of been together had I ever seen him like have an attack or anything like that. So certainly he relied on Ventolin and things, but seemed to have it under control. Anyway, we yeah had our dinner, put our daughter to bed um, in, in our bed, actually, you know, what little ones are, are like. <laughs> and at about 2.30 in the morning, he just woke me up telling me that he couldn't 
breathe and the like the situation was serious from the very get-go so essentially I think within a minute or two and I was straight on the phone to triple O um he had collapsed I attempted to resuscitate him for about 20 minutes on my own before paramedics arrived and then they worked on him for about an hour and then yeah basically pronounced him dead at home so it all happened so fast and you know just I guess being part of that traumatic situation has really complicated my grief journey as well which I perhaps hadn't realized at the time but now understand a little bit more upon reflection but yeah just one of those moments of going I was just leading a pretty normal happy life and then bam I'm on the other side of going I've lost my husband I'm in this whole new world and space of grief and death and what does this mean for me and my life and my daughter's life going forward that's so crazy like I can't I've never heard of anybody actually dying from an asthma attack no, and nor had I. It's uh, funnily enough, and you know, when you then start to have these kind of conversations, I, it's not, not perhaps more common than you think, but I've obviously come across a lot more stories like this. I think what also surprised me was how fast it can happen. So um, I have a couple of other deaths that I've heard of in my local area, similar sort of thing. It's like they literally collapse and, and they're gone. So it's... Um, something that I certainly completely underestimated and had no idea about. I mean, I don't have asthma. Um, my daughter doesn't know any of my family does. So I just didn't, yeah, understand the nature of that disease, but yeah, absolutely crazy. And I was with the, the same impression. In fact, when they had said he died and then you're announcing that wonderful news <laughs> to everyone and I knew it was an asthma attack, but I thought, I think it's a heart attack that must have killed him though and it wasn't until I received the coroner's report and that came back and saying it was a chronic asthma attack that I was like oh okay because I, I was the same I just thought surely maybe that instigated things but surely it doesn't actually kill you so how weird that that happened too and he had done all those extreme sports completely and, and as I said just yeah and was totally fine that day like I had no um warning signs at all i mean don't we all wish that we did but absolutely nothing completely blindsided thank you very much craig you, what year was this that he died so that was in 2017 and i think i was saying to you earlier mel so the fifth anniversary of his death is coming up next week so you know nothing like that would, oh. yeah when you're in that space of kind of going oh what has the last five years been like where has it taken me? And also leading, you know, into those anniversaries. How am I feeling right now? And at the moment, I'm not sure, but we'll, but we'll see. You mentioned that you are somebody that likes things in order. I do. And when you have death and sudden death, that kind of messes with your brain and your life. So how did you navigate that? Do you even remember? Tell us. Well, so how did I navigate it? I think for someone who does like organisation and order and routine, it obviously completely threw me. And the only instinct I really had initially was to go, well, I'm just going to try and order and put everything back into a routine as quickly as possible. And 
almost like I would say at the time, you know, when you look at the stages of grief, I didn't think I was in denial. <laughs> I was completely in denial. It was almost like I just thought if I just keep acting like this didn't happen, maybe I will just get to the end goal of being healed and being able to get back on with my normal life, almost like I saw Craig's death as just being a really huge inconvenience <laughs> to me at that time. So I feel like I just soldiered on as quickly as I could. So that meant for me things like getting Heidi back to kinder within like two days of his death and fronting up in public spaces um, I guess forcing myself to go to social events, acting like it's all fine, everything's fine. If I tell everyone and I tell myself it's fine, then hopefully everything will be fine. So, and I just, I straight back to work. I mean, I was back doing wedding ceremonies within about five or six weeks of his death. And, and I think that sense of work for me was really um important at that time because it was almost like when everything's in chaos around you and if there's anything you can control and as you said it's actually the whole world's out of control when you lose someone that close to you so it was like anything I could grip and kind of control myself a little bit I naturally went towards so I probably threw myself back into work I was traveling I was doing all sorts of different things and I think for a a year at least a year if not a little bit longer I put on a really good show <laughs> a really good show um and I think I was just trying to yeah hide my true feelings but of course when you do that you've got to collapse at some point so I think in about in year two I really collapsed in a heap because I'd really just been hiding behind all those yucky and murky sort of feelings that were actually um, going on inside of me, which were perfectly normal and valid, but I wasn't allowing myself to feel it or to go there. And in some ways too, I wondered whether it was all still so shocking and painful. I just wasn't at a point that I could go there either. Yeah, I, I think it's so interesting because you say you were in denial. And I think when we think of the word denial, we think, he's not dead. And obviously you knew he was dead. It's not like you were in denial that he was dead, but you were almost in denial about the the consequences of that or like the change to your life that it was going to be. It was like, oh, no, no, no. We'll just get back to everything being normal, even though like there is no normal anymore. It's like, no, that's, that's and it totally, that's exactly um, you putting it that way. And it really resonates with me because I think when I looked at that stage denial, I thought that that just meant everyone must have a period of time where they go, oh, they're not dead, they're not dead. And I was, as, as you said, I was very aware he was dead and that he's no longer here. But I was in denial about the impact that would have yeah. on my life and my feelings and really not happy about it. I want to bring up the fact that you work in the wedding industry. So I also did that for a long time but in the music side of things so I, I was in a band that would play for weddings and and I want to say my first gig back doing that just because I had to make money to work to pay for funeral and stuff was a couple months after the death and I couldn't do it for very long I mean I did it for like another year until I was you know onto something else but how did you deal with that like did you just dissociate your feelings and just be like, I'm working, I'm just in the zone right now? Because I wanted to run up to everyone and say, you're, you need life insurance 
you also might die and don't do it. It was too much. <laughs> so what was it like for you? Yeah, look, it was a really um, complex, I guess, experience initially. And I, much the same as you, Mel. So there was an element of control and wanting to get back to work and doing my job. The other side of it was financial reasons. I felt like I couldn't be saying no to these bookings that I had. And, you know, when you've lost everything, I was also worried that people might not trust me to do their wedding ceremonies going forward. And I think I remember receiving a phone call within the first week of Craig's death and um, a woman actually saying to me, how are you going to go back to work? And I was thinking, oh my God, so I've lost my husband. I've lost control of my life. Now I'm going to lose my job. And I was actually probably a little bit offended by what she'd said at the time. Now I can say, like, see that it came from a place of concern (laughs) that I just kept thinking, I, I, I need to get back to it and I did have to disassociate from it a little bit in a way but the first wedding ceremony I did I look it still makes me emotional even thinking about it because it was huge it was like I'd never I mean I think I'd officiated probably at that stage 400 wedding ceremonies so certainly experienced I knew what I was was doing but it was like I was back at square one all over again and thankfully the couple had met with me during the week I wanted to meet with them just to reassure them that I hadn't completely lost my mind (laughs) and they were really caring and lovely and had actually said to me if you wake up on the day and you don't feel like you want to come or that you can do it please don't worry we'll just have a friend that can read through the ceremony and we'll do the legal components of it at another point we just are more concerned about you and your well-being which was so lovely there was no sort of pressure from them um but I certainly woke up on the day feeling like sick to my stomach I just remember being like shaking and being so nervous but I guess also maybe trying to see it as a bit of an empowering experience and doing that positive self-talk as in just get in there and do it it will be half an hour um get these people married they deserve love and marriage I had a great marriage you know I'm not I think that was a big thing for me was going coming out of this experience I'm certainly down not down on marriage at all in fact I believe in it more now than ever because I think if you meet someone and you're married to them like what an incredible experience um but yeah I I remember turning up to the ceremony and I felt like you know how you feel so exposed after a death and I think that sometimes has a lot to do with the shock factor so I felt like everyone was staring <laughs> at me and just going what is this woman doing here and um but the couple were wonderful and were just like well you're here if you want to do it just go for it and I was like yes I think I can do it And the first five minutes felt excruciating but then I think I was able to just sort of zone out a little bit and go you're here to do a job get it done um so I did that smile on the face, got it all done. But I remember getting in my car and I've never cried so hard in all my life of just the whole feeling, I guess, of yet losing my own husband, that feeling of pride that I'd been able to do something that I knew was going to be incredibly difficult. And I think from there, I actually sort of just played on and was able to do it. Did I turn up to some weddings in those first few months where perhaps I should have maybe called in sick and maybe asked for a replacement? Quite possibly, because I do remember having quite an angry, upset, crazy day. (laughs) And I had gone to this wedding and I don't know, the couple were just 
A little bit. There was actually nothing wrong with them. I think it was just where I was at on that particular day and in my grief journey, but everything was really annoying me. So they wanted to get married over, over the, overlooking the water. It was incredibly windy. They wouldn't change the location. So that was annoying me. They were really into Disney films, sort of music. So there was <laughs> Disney music playing all around me. And I'm going like, I just think this is a dumb choice <laughs> for weddings. And I remember just, and I'm cold and <clears throat> I shouldn't like, I just, I couldn't be bothered with it. I mean, I got there, I did the ceremony. They would have known no different. But I do remember walking away just thinking, what am I doing? And then upon reflection, I was like, I should have called in a replacement that day. I, you know, as much as I was doing it, I wasn't feeling any passion towards it at that particular moment. Um, but, you know, we, we're all learning as we go along. And I, yeah, I think it was just all an experience from them. I mean, I've certainly cut back the number of weddings that I now do just do, due to logistics with my child and I think also I like my weekends versus working <laughs> on my weekends <laughs> now um but I found a really good balance with it and look the, the wedding industry as you'd know Mel is it's a crazy industry you see a lot of funny things um happy things but I think yeah I've learned to sort of disassociate from it a little bit I must admit when I do hear the vows that say till death do you part Sometimes in my black sense of humor, I'm going, do you really understand what you're saying? Do you really know what, <laughs> what you're saying there? So I think I just, yeah, sort of take myself out of the emotional side of things and go, look, I'm here to do, to do a job. Um, Joe, do you know, yes. you probably don't know this, but Mel and I call each other widow wives. She's my widow wife. I'm her widow wife. Will you please fake marry us? <laughs> I would love to. Absolutely. Okay, Sign excellent. me up. <laughs> I imagine in my mind that wedding that you were annoyed that I just want to imagine you being like, do you take him? Good. Yes. Fine. Do you take her? Good. Yes. Fine. Kiss. You're married now. Get out of my sight. And almost like throwing the paperwork in the air and just storming away with a mic drop on the way out yes. as well. Like I'm over and I'm out guys. Good luck in your marriage. I hope you're not divorced in the next five years. Well, and it's so funny when you do work in that industry, like there are a lot of couples where you can kind of predict their outcome in the next few years and so as somebody who has is a widow it's like it's hard to see those um you know and not that anybody can decide for somebody else beforehand but you you know we can get pretty accurate we see a lot of things like sometimes you get oh. a little inkling yeah like my my friends that are wedding photographers can totally like nail it but because they would see them for the duration of the day, whereas I must admit, as a celebrant, you probably see the nicest side of them because the bride could have punched out 15 people before they've walked down the aisle. But I would have no idea because as they come down that aisle, they are beaming. Yes, yeah. it's, that's true. Yeah. Well, and I always had to keep myself in check, too. And something that a friend said not even to me, just was like, you guys, we have the best job ever. And in my head, I'm like, I hate everyone and everything. I just need the money. And he was like, we're here on somebody, what's hopefully the best day of somebody's life and a celebration. And so it's like, you know what, it's true. And it's hard to put those feelings aside as a widow when you've experienced the death and stuff. But I think that's good that you were able to dissociate from that and like to kind of take the emotion out and to still work because you had to work. Yeah, and I think too, that was a really good point, Mel, because I also felt like life was so bad, especially in those first few months as you're trying to piece everything back together to actually 
walk away from my life for two hours and be part of a joy-filled moment was actually really nice as well. I feel like that would almost be empowering because you took back something that gave you joy before. You were like, no, I this is what gives me joy and I'm going to own that and I'm not going to let my experiences or what happened to me dictate, you know, what I find joy in and I'm going to take back that, you know, that experience for my own. So I think that could, I think it can go either way, but I'm happy that you were able to get back to doing that. You said something at the conference that I thought was so funny and that is that your website now, if you go to your website, it's like, grief first and so people who book you now they have to get through this layer of like I'm a widow and everything's like terrible and bad and here's my grief journey oh also would you like me to marry you and you still get clients so it was quite funny because when I'd released the journals I'd always had a like a website under Joe Betts and um but yeah it always been wedding focused and when I started exploring grief and wanted to release the book obviously I needed a point where I could sell it from so the website was the natural next step I think probably in the back of my mind I was always like oh, at some point I will just do a little one-page website for my celebrant wedding work but I clearly have not got around to that and I've also kind of gone stuff it this is who I am and um, so I do I always say I think clients who come to my website and the first thing they see is not your typical widow <laughs> grief 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 look I, I admire them as in um you know that they sort of go look we'd still love to have you as part of our celebration and in fact what I have found interesting is that some of my clients specifically do reach out to me because of my experiences because they may have lost dads brothers sisters and I think that they feel that you can relate on that emotional level especially because I think weddings can also be tricky for people navigating loss on what is meant meant to be a joyous occasion and missing someone that is supposed to be there so that's been interesting as well yeah um so getting back to kind of your grief journey you are somebody who likes to tick the boxes and you in the beginning I felt the same way and I'm not even like super put together but I was like okay these are the things I need to do we need to get therapy appointments we need to have a goal we need to do this that and the other so that we can get through this grief business and we can get our life back to normal and uh, how did that go for you? So it did not work for me. Um, <laughs> that's, that's what I wanted to happen. So I do recall like within same, same sort of thing, I'm proactive, I'm a problem solver. So if someone gives me a problem, I will think it all through and I will try and navigate that as best as I can. So that's what I was going to do with grief, except I'd never grieved before and I had no experience. So my first step was to ask my sister to Google the stages as we were sitting down drinking wine one night a few days after Craig had died. She reads out the stages to me and I think, well, that's brilliant and sounds pretty easy. Um, (laughs) But also if I can just do this as quickly as possible, even better and I like to work fast. So, you know, let's let's do this as quickly as possible. Let's just skip (laughs) it. Because I just want to be healed. And I think at that time too, I was really set on grief not changing me as a person. So I thought if I can just do this like rocky little um, stages of grief, I'll get to the end, be healed, return back to my normal life, normal Joe as I was. So I was clearly obviously still in denial, thinking that I was working through the stages. Uh, I found anger a tricky one for me because I'm not naturally an angry person so 
I might have perhaps felt anger at that couple on that day that were annoying me at the wedding ceremony. So I was probably looking at my list going, well, there's anger. That's done. Um, Tick through that. And so I worked really hard, did all the things, you know, working on my mental health. I had the psychologist appointments. I was seeking any kind of therapy under the sun, like you name it, I was doing it from seeing intuitive readers, Reiki, psychic, osteopaths, walking and hiking, doing all the things. And when I did the one year anniversary and felt like I coped with it reasonably well because I was getting towards my goal of being healed so that's probably why I thought that I was doing quite well and I had gone away and I remember about two or three days later waking up in the morning and just feeling like I didn't want to get out of bed and sort of saying to myself oh my god it's still the same sheet like this is this like nothing's changed and I felt really confused, but then also for someone like me, just really incredibly disappointed. And I was probably disappointed in myself, which is a really hard feeling to have. And I still wasn't quite sure what was going on, but I was going, oh, this is a yucky feeling and I don't like this. And here I am thinking I've done the best job and I haven't at all. In fact, I've I've failed. So then I'm being even harder on myself. And I sort of you know, went through that for a little bit. And then I um, actually was undertaking some trauma therapy with my psychologist. And I think that's when I completely unraveled and started to realize how much I had been suppressing all my emotions. And one big emotion I was definitely suppressing was my anger. And I hadn't realized how angry I was. I was angry with the world around me, I was actually deeply angry at Craig. And I think there's still a side of me that still is. I It really has frustrated and annoyed me that this is what's happened to my life because he bloody died. So, <laughs> and, that's, and that's really complex to deal with because I go, that's not his fault. He would yeah. give anything to be here and to be part of this world. And yet I'm angry with it because I'm angry with the impacts it's had on me physically, mentally, emotionally financially all those kind of things I've I've been angry with family and friends um that don't understand and could never understand until they're in the same situation themselves so it felt like through that particular therapy it really brought out my angry side but also how painful it felt how traumatized I was from the experience how shocked I was of what had happened and the fact that I perhaps hadn't really understood what had happened to me was as bad as it was. I think I'd started to really gloss over that being part of that traumatic incident. I kept thinking, oh, maybe it wasn't that bad. Maybe I've made it up in my head. But I now realise witnessing a death is a really traumatic (laughs) and terrible thing. Being part of that is a really awful thing to be through. And I, I wasn't allowing myself to to grasp that or comprehend it and comprehending that is equally equally hard but at least I think my psychologist was getting me to a point to start to understand where I was actually at emotionally I mean she did a kind of therapy called EMDR therapy I'm not sure if you've yet done this and the funny funny thing was though when the psychologist actually brought it up to me so that must have been about oh I don't know 14-15 months after Craig had died now 
I actually felt like saying to her, you know, I researched this in about week two of my <laughs> grief journey, <clears throat> but I was just being too polite to bring it up because I'd read about this EMDR therapy and that helps you heal. So I was actually a little bit frustrated at first going, why aren't they bringing up the EMDR therapy? When am I supposed to be doing this? Like sign me up. I should be doing this in week two of Craig's death. And she just never brought it up. And then she finally did. And I was like, bingo, here we go. Then we went through the process and I remember sort of telling her that I'd been expecting to do it much earlier than I did. And she said, now being th having gone through this particular type of therapy, do you think you could have handled it at, you know, two weeks, three months in, into it? And I said, no, she said, that's the thing with you. She said, I just don't think you understand how fragile you, you actually are. So I tend to, you know, plow on through things and just keep things going. She said, you're so fragile. And if I had have taken you through that therapy early in your grief journey, it would have absolutely have broken you. You know, it's been hard doing it at this point. Any earlier just would not have been responsible by me to be doing that with you because, you know, part of my therapy with you is also helping you function in your day-to-day -day life. So I can't have everything crashing on, crashing down around you while you're still expecting to work expecting to parent, all those kind of things. So I think she took a really responsible approach with me, but um, that was tough going. It was tough to sit in all that bad and murky feelings, but I think that's when I could start to see the growth really starting to happen as I started to embrace those feelings and that complex side of me that I hadn't truly understood and started to, I guess, yeah, accept what grief was. Yeah, EMDR, it'll do oh. it, <laughs> right? I'm actually doing the second, uh, like, well, how do I put this? I'm doing Another it for the round. second time Yeah, I... about other things. Um, okay. The first time was actually pretty close to when Scott died because I had to do wow. it for a car accident and, like, for that. And, and because Scott had died, like, in the interim, like, we lumped it all in there. Mm -hmm. And I was not functioning. So I actually mm -hmm. did it when it was that kind of wow. time where, and I wasn't really doing anything anyway, like work, I was just like in bed. So, um, so I don't remember, remember a lot from it other than I was just a disaster. But now that I've had a long time of kind of working and doing things and being present in life and kind of functional in society. And now that I do a therapy, it's really interesting to see the difference and what it does to you. It's so helpful, but it also takes a lot out of you and, jiggles things around and and it does take time so shout out to your therapist for using emdr responsibly at a time where she was really looking out for your best long-term and i guess short-term benefit that's really amazing yeah. yeah it was and as you said i i think at the time going through it and i do remember raging into her office one day and saying to her you said this would make me feel better and i feel worse like oh god i was i was off on a tangent that day i'd yelled at my sister i was yelling at her which is just so unlike my my character but as you could see all all of that stuff i'd been suppressing for so long was just bubbling up um but now i realize how important that therapy has been for me and just understanding what aspect of Craig's death and the whole experience had really upset me or those feelings of, you know, I hadn't realized like how terrified I was in that moment and being, and, and perhaps, 
you know, subconsciously thinking things that I probably wasn't saying to anyone or saying to my psychologist, but that I obviously felt useless, like um, that I didn't perhaps do a good enough job or, you know, because the perfectionist in me should have saved the day and I didn't. And so that was something that I'd have, I, I was working through in that and things that I just had not admitted to myself or to anyone was resurfacing in those moments. And also like when you go through a sudden death and any sort of shocking thing like that, the brain covers it sometimes and hides things. So totally. you may not have even been able to access a lot of this stuff. Yes. Agreed. Wow. So yeah. after you kind of went, you did a deep dive in year one of trying to follow the formula quote, <laughs> and then you did a deep dive down into the actual depths. Um, what did it look like after that? Because you, like you said, you've written a book and you help people. How did that come about and what do you do? So I think I wallowed for a long while after I call it the deep dark hole. I, it, it's like when you get sucked down so hard and you're trying to scramble your way up. And I think I sort of let myself just wallow and allowed myself to feel those emotions. And then I guess from there, I really, I think I started to open myself up a lot more. I was being more honest with myself. I was being more honest with the people around me. And I think that naturally I found myself starting to share on social media a little bit more about what I was experiencing. So the good, the bad, sort of the in-between. And I guess people started to navigate towards that. I'd never really sort of set out to kind of go, I'm going to be working in this space but then I think I was asked to speak at a couple of events and uh, they're incredible experiences as you ladies would know is when you start speaking to people and having other people I think sort of place their trust in you and that they can speak with you and be vulnerable and I found that the grief community is an incredible one I think it's so empathetic nurturing funny um we just get each other and I think it started to open up that space a little bit more for me. And so I I enjoyed some, you know, speaking at some events and I guess sharing on social media. And then during COVID, I had hit yet, yet another deep dark hole. So, you know, as other people would know, just because you've hit that deep dark hole once doesn't mean you're not going to be sucked down by So time. annoying. We should have That's one so deep annoying. dark hole per person per lifetime. Know, That's I, it. There should be Take like a limit. I know. <laughs> it's like, come on. Totally. So I actually, um, yeah, I, I, I was resurfacing from a deep dark hole. And I think at that time, I felt so close to my grief and I actually had gone back through some old journals of mine. So I'm a bit of a writer. I like to write out my thoughts and feelings and things too. And I came across one of my journals and it was actually a few months after Craig had died. I'd gone away for a weekend and I thought, oh, that, that was me giving myself space to grieve. I was going to give myself three days and fall in a heap. The, the weird thing was I actually went down to the coast and it was sunny and beautiful and I actually had a really nice three days and was <laughs> and was and was coping really well as in I well I would have been looking at from the ticking the box perspective going Joe look how good you're doing <clears throat> in the sun enjoying a beer journaling having a cry every now and then you're basically an expert when it comes to grief <laughs> so I did I started to jot down these notes that I was like this is what I'm doing 
So what's wrong with everyone else around me? They should just follow the guide of what I'm doing. So I started to put together some notes. <laughs> Clearly. Why are you not a bajillionaire? That's what I want to know. Absolutely. So, well, I must have been here that time. I have, I have solved it. And then I'm going to make sure that I get this out to the people. So obviously I've put these notes together, have fallen into a hole. Then my life has careered off path for the next two to three years and had never gone back to that journal entry. And when I went back to it, I did have a Google going, who the hell did I think I was telling, like thinking that I could tell people how to do their grief because there is no, I think I was probably going to call it some kind of grief guide. And I now realize, and as you would both know, there's no guide to grief. We are also individual and unique in our experiences and how we think and feel and um, that no one can possibly tell you how to do it. But it made me sort of think, well, you know, I've read, I've, I've read a few books about grief experiences. Admittedly, I probably haven't gone completely down that path because I think sometimes when I've read people's stories, I like them and I enjoy them, but I also go, that's their experience. It's not mine. So I wanted to create a guided journal, I guess, that would help people explore their own grief um, and, I guess, provide nurturing sort of journal prompts that would take them through that. And I really, I guess, even in the way the journal sort of, I wanted the journal to be kind of like a bit of a grief best friend, that it would talk to the person and nurture them, but actually understand what they were going through them, going through before allowing them to explore different feelings like anger, regret, um, what happened to you, who you were before you came to grief, but then looking at things like gratitude and kindness too. So that I guess launched me a little bit more into that grief space as as well. So um, yeah, I, as I said, I think the community is great within you know. And you think about going, we would never be having this conversation had we not connected through social media and at Camp Widow and things like that. And I think it's important um, to have that connection with others. But yeah, so life I guess has been. <laughs> I mean, I think the last two years have been difficult given COVID. We've all been a bit the same. And sometimes I wonder whether COVID may have stunted our grief journeys a little bit over the last two years. I mean, we'll never know, but I'm like, would sometimes I think, would have I been faring better a year ago if we hadn't been locked down and restricted for, for two years? I'm not sure. We'll never know. Um, but yeah, I think that for me, life has just become about, I guess, embracing my emotions um and I think I started to realize once I allowed myself to embrace my grief what I was really saying to myself is I'm allowing myself to embrace me and who I am and I think I really like who I'm I've become and I'm becoming because I look at the Joe from before and I really like that Joe I like this Joe a lot more sort of now for the dark sense of humor and complex feelings. I have a question for you because this has kind of been a little bit of a topic in our widow wives club and Anita and I have talked about this to each other and we're so different after our person has died because they've died and we're forced to either grow or like grow the other way into destruction. I mean, it's just a direction, so it would be, (laughs) but do you think Craig would recognize you? Like, say he miraculously came back. And 
do you think that because you are different, you would choose each other again? That's kind of a weird one. Yeah. What do you think? And it's funny. Do you know what? I think think there's still, so if Craig was to come back, I think he'd still recognize me on the outside. I think my positivity, vibrancy, love to have a laugh has not gone away. I don't think he'd recognize some of the inner strength I've perhaps built. And, you know, when I was saying to you, what I loved about him was that he instilled this confidence in me. I think one of the best things that's happened to me since Craig has died is while that was really tricky to navigate and I was full of a lot of self-doubt, all of a sudden I've had to instill that confidence in myself and back myself. And that's been an empowering experience if he was back and would we choose each other again I think I think if I was to be completely bloody honest no I don't know whether we would interesting I know have I have I failed the test no there's no 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 no. this is something I think that people are scared to face or Mm -hmm. to admit out loud so whatever your answer is is well I'm not sure it would be the same you know maybe the same answer for me and Scott too because I'm so different And it's funny because I, so where I look at this too was, and I know at Camp Widow, I sat on a dating panel and I actually was saying what, I think what is interesting to reflect on is going, I met Craig when I was 23 years of age with barely any life experience. And when you're 23 years of age and you're not tending to go, that's my life partner right there. You're just going, I love this, like I'm attracted to this person. I love this person. And you're having fun. And um, I wonder, you know, that now, what was so 18, 19 years older with so much more experience, a bigger understanding of myself and the world around me, maybe I'll be looking for different qualities and values. I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think I think I've changed, so I, I dare say perhaps if I think about who I might partner in the future, I, I often think that they probably might be quite different to Craig. That's so interesting. I think that Jason and I would still choose each other, but he would be super annoyed with me because I'm like, <laughs> I'm just making the decisions and I don't need anybody's input. <laughs> He'd be like, wait, excuse me, don't I get to say? No, you sit I, down. I'm making all the decisions. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That, it's a fascinating question. You've really <laughs> yeah. got me thinking because as I said I think I've I think you'd look at me and go I think it's all still there but I know fundamentally like you Mel I just know there's sides of me that have changed and perhaps knowing what I want out of life and I I feel like um Craig's death's been an opportunity to rebuild myself and I'm really much more focused on what my values, my values are and how I want to live my life. Now, if you ever had asked me five years ago what my values were, I wouldn't even have been able to tell you. Whereas <laughs> I know for me things that are important are things like adventure, joy, stability and security, um, which I would never have been able to verbalise a few years ago. Um, I do do have to laugh because one thing that always really annoyed me about Craig, and I think if I was to ever find a future partner, <laughs> I I would insist on this. So it used to annoy me that Craig would never go for a walk with me. I love walking. I like hiking. Craig, had, because of his extreme sports and adventures, had broken his ankles many times <laughs> over. So he'd be like, oh, God, it's not ankles. I'm whinged about it. I always imagined my future partner and I would we'll walk a lot. 
they, they need to walk with me. That's, that's one criteria. Must have healthy ankles. That's <laughs> healthy on ankles. her dating pro profile, guys. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so interesting because it, something that you said gave me a thought and and I've, I think I've like maybe come to terms with this, but I was living for everybody else's expectations when I was in those positions of like choosing someone to marry, timing of marriage, certain things mm. going along with that. And now because the life has exploded, it's like absolutely not. This is on my terms and I decide and and it gives you a new freedom. And maybe some people don't agree with that but they're not you. So there is, there is a confidence and a strength that comes with having to grow through this stuff. Yeah. And, I, and as you said, I think there's been a lot of aspects of this experience that I have found empowering. So, and I wouldn't change that side of it. I know you put an Instagram question up on your stories the other day and I mm -hmm. felt like I answered incorrectly, but it was like, can you, can you, there's like, no, incorrect. there's no wrong. No, I know. But you know, when you go, Oh, um, yeah. but oh, can, what was the, how did you phrase it again? It was, was like, it? It, would you trade the experiences you've had, the people you've met and who you've grown into as a person, if you could have your person who died back? Mel and yes. I talk about this all the time. Like, would you trade yes. the experiences you've had and who you've become and all the things that you've learned? And I think it's a really hard question. It's Some people really... can answer it quickly and easily, but I can't. No, and and same sort of thing. It's like I answered like right away and was like, actually, no, I wouldn't change things. But it is, it's far more complex than that because yeah. I think as soon as I ticked the box and I was like, oh, but actually, you know, that would mean Heidi has a father and all those kind of things. Yeah. But but when I look at it, when you say the people that I've met, the experiences that I've, I've had, the empowering feelings I've had, you know, really pushing myself to live a life that I want to lead, this wouldn't have happened if Craig hadn't died. Now I'm yeah. sure we would be happily married and we'd be enjoying life, but I think this experience has allowed me to experience a lot more than I ever would have. That's so important to hear, I think, um, because think back to your year two when everything mm. was like trash. And for a lot of us, like year one and year two and year three mm. are, are so hard. So if you could go back, well, if you could right now time travel to your lowest point mm. self, what would you say to that self? I would... A couple of things I would say at that point when you're in that depth of despair that you're just doing the best you can and I I often say that to myself when I'm having struggles is you're just doing the best that you can at this point of time in this moment and if that means that you can't get out of bed if that means you can't go to the social commitment or whatever it might be if you feel like you're being a bad parent or if you're not doing your grief right, you're just, you're just doing what you can at that point of time with what you've got. And I guess from a more positive twist is that you will get through this. And, and I think I've always, so even approaching this anniversary, I'll start to, and I can already notice I'm having these feelings of anxiety of going, 
what if I get sucked under by this? Because I know the last anniversary, I was a bit shocked because I really struggled with Craig's death and I felt like it was also a culmination of it, that we were locked down. I couldn't do anything that I wanted to do and it was really frustrating and annoying. And um, I always have this sense of anxiety that, you know, anytime we hit the depths of despair, what if I don't resurface from this? But you do. And you might be a bit battered and bruised for a while and that's okay, but you do eventually resurface. And I think then in time you can reflect on that experience and you go, okay, what did that mean? What did I learn from that? And, you know, go with the good feelings when you've got them, go with the bad feelings when you've got them, but yeah, you, you will get through it. So I think it's so interesting that we're talking about going back and telling yourself things, mm. you know, time traveling and talking to yourself. When you were talking about checking those boxes and getting to a point where you realized, actually, this isn't going to work. My thought in that moment was, I almost feel like everybody has to go through that. You can't tell somebody, you can't shortcut yourself out of this because everybody's because everybody's like, oh, but yes, I'm going to because I'm going to have a list and I'm going to have it scheduled and I'm going to have a three-day weekend to go and 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 grieve. And it's only after you've been through that and you realize that it didn't work that you understand that because it's almost like, I almost feel like that's a stage of grief is the realizing that you failed and that you can't, you can't check mark, check, you know, check the box out of out of all those experiences and at some point it's going to catch up with you and i just i felt so much solidarity with you on that you know i felt the same way my instagram posts in the first year were all very like look at how i'm doing the things that i need to heal and look at the places i'm taking my kids and you know we're just doing it and we're working through it and then at some point in time you're like no actually mm -mm, it, this isn't working and i wouldn't have realized that unless i tried to do it no, I really like you saying that is in it should be a stage of grief yeah. itself because it's a huge realisation. And then I think with those feelings that come out of that, you then go, well, hang on, there's a lot more feelings and stages of grief that, that come along, you know, things like envy or, um, as I said, like anger, but really, really angry. <laughs> there's angry, oh. really, really angry, irate, it, yeah. livid. Totally. Yeah. Or, you know, completely numb to it all. Mm -hmm. Also feeling I feel joy a lot more deeply, I think, these days than I would have in my old life as well. Um, so it's, yeah, that I guess that understanding, this is just a really complex life experience to go through and unfortunately not the linear way that we would expect it to be but maybe that's the beauty in it as well is that you know you unravel you put yourself back together you unravel again you put yourself back together and you you're constantly learning about yourself um as you go through it i think it's so fun to look okay this is that's going to sound like a weird way of saying this but if you look at instagram accounts of widows who are newly widowed i can almost identify that in all of them i'm like you're going through the time period where you are working your way through grief and i want you to come back to me in a year and a half and tell me how it's going and I that's know. when the real instagram will come out well it's a, and, and interesting because i so when i was saying i hadn't met um many people who had been widowed through asthma Weirdly enough, you know how the 
I don't know, the world sometimes aligns itself. Um, a woman reached out to me that had lost her husband, I think 16 years prior to Craig dying. And um, she runs an asthma foundation in my local area that I'd never even heard of. Anyway, we connected and caught up and then she was doing um, a fundraiser for this asthma foundation. And so I went along to this gala ball and I think it was maybe two weeks out from the one year anniversary. So I was also you know, getting so close to my goal. I was so close and um, I'm at the ball once again, like smile plastered on my face and I run into this woman and she says, oh, how are you? And I was like, I'm doing, I'm doing well. I'm fine. Like, you know, it's coming up to the one year anniversary, but I'm off to Byron Bay, beautiful location with some friends and we'll just celebrate the man that he was and all will be good. And uh, she was standing there with her best friend who I think was really close to her throughout the time that she lost her husband and I don't know how they got into the conversation of year two but the friend said oh but year two is bad and when you look at it I looked at them and I was like sorry what did you say and they're like year two is really really bad and I was like well couldn't be because I've just done year one and that's the worst isn't it surely like that's all the first (laughs) and I remember it just like sat in my head and off they go and I was just going well, what awful people, because it won't be bad for me. I will prove them wrong. (laughs) No, it was as bad as I said (laughs) it was going to be, if not worse. So it was, yeah, really interesting because as you said, I think then my social media presence would have changed over that time too, is going, oh God, I am in the grit at the moment and letting it all hang out. And I think that's a great space to be in is when you start to be honest with yourself and with others around you too. Yeah. Oh, Joe, you are such a delight. And I'm so happy that we've gotten to talk to you. And also we didn't even murder you. So I feel like it's been a really successful time. I have survived. Thank you so <laughs> much for having me. It's such a joy to talk to you too. It's like easy, oh, thanks. easily able to relate and also have a giggle too, but those in-depth chats. Hey Mel, do you want to ask her the most important of all the questions? Are you ready? What is this it? is the only question you can fail at. Yeah. But, I feel like I failed. Well, no, that's not true. But anyway. <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> what is your favorite cheese? I would like a brie cheese, a soft brie style cheese. It's maybe been left out of the fridge for like an hour or so. So it's not too cold. Yeah. Just highly. That was highly specific. Yeah. Okay. It was highly. And you know, when you're just going, it's actually only like nine 30 in the morning here, but I'm that just made my mouth water. <laughs> I, like, oh, I think I will be Free for breakfast. exactly. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us, Joe. You are just somebody who you cannot help, but talk to and feel like lighter and happier. You explained yourself as having resting smile face. And I think that's so true. It's just like, it's she's just shocking. like, exuding. yeah, no, it's not. It's beautiful. No, it's just a, it. it's just a bad face for grief. I think I was saying to you <laughs> where, where you're talking about sad experiences and I've been known to, I could even be crying and I'm still smiling to you. It is. It's not, it's a natural resting smile face so well those of us with resting bitch face might be jealous sometimes i admire that though (laughs) she likes to scare a person hey 
thank you so much. We hope you guys have found this episode enjoyable and enlightening. Come check out the Widow Wives Club on Facebook. It's our private Facebook group. Just remember to answer all the questions. Yes, all of them. And if you want to keep the podcast going, check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash WWDN. If you'd like to buy us some tacos, go to buymeacoffee.com slash widow we do now or check our app in the app store for both ios devices and android and that is the widow we do now app it has access to all of that stuff plus free calming meditation music when you are having a meltdown <laughs> until we get to talk to you again i'm anita i'm mel i'm joe <laughs> and we are two young widows and one widow with resting smile face <laughs> and we are all just trying to figure out widow we now you could say Perfect. we're two widows with resting bitch face and one widow one with, <laughs> with resting smile face. this is my favorite thing to discuss with you tell me what well, is it one of my favorite things i do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs this is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan. Especially when you're a widow, your person is dead, you might have kids, you might need another option, and you just want your phone to work, you want unlimited texting and service, and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month. It blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks, and so you don't have to pay extra for that, and you still get great service. Yep, Anita and I have traveled all over and I have used my phone. So I highly recommend it. And my mom's even on it. When my dad died, we put his phone down to the cheapest plan, which is $15 a month. And I think my mom's on the $20 a month plan and it's so worth it. It's so much cheaper than what we were all paying before. So I highly recommend it if you're on a budget or not, who cares? Ryan Reynolds is in charge of the company and they send you free stickers with Ryan Reynolds temporary tattoos. It's kind of the best. So if somebody wants to sign up, what can they do, Anita? Go to trymintmobile.com slash WWDN. Seriously, you guys, such a great idea. Save yourself some money. And if you're worried about losing data or having any changes with your phone, not going to happen. They walk you through it. Everything's fine. It's the easiest process of all time. Again, that's trymintmobile.com slash WWDN.